Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Ed Marks, Interim CIO at New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation. In this segment, Marks talks about what he loves most about his current role, the guiding philosophy from a famous talk show host that has helped him build strong relationships, and why CIOs must be willing to put down the phone and show up for clinicians. Thanks, Ed, so much for taking some time to speak with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sure. So now, um, in your your current role, you're part of the uh, IT leadership team for New York City Health and Hospitals, um, and that's through the advisory board company? Correct. I am the executive vice president of the advisory board, and my 100% focus assignment is to help with IT leadership for the City of New York Health and Hospitals Corporation, as you mentioned. Okay. And that's a pretty big system. Yeah, it's, I'm not sure people realize this, but it's the second largest public health system in the world, the largest in the United States. Okay. We actually spoke to Katherine Krauss a little while ago, and she's, she's with Kings County Hospital, and she referred to you as, as kind of a CIO consultant. So is that uh, an accurate description of, of what your role is there? It's complicated, as most things can be in a large public health system, and so I am definitely a consultant, and the title I'm given is Interim CIO, and my specific focus is, you know, to help make sure they're successful with implementing electronic health records. Okay, and what do you uh, enjoy most about that role? Well, I enjoy making a difference. So we all want to live a life of significance and leave our mark uh, in helping others and serving others. And so being in public health care sector for the first time in my career is very, very rewarding. You know, I've worked in for-profit health systems. I've worked in community hospitals. I've worked in academic medical centers. I've worked in standalone hospitals. I've served in large integrated health delivery systems. But this is the first time in public health. So there's a lot of unique rewards that come along with that. So that's one of the things I enjoy. The other thing is the city itself. It's just an amazing, you know, perhaps probably in everyone's top three list of best cities in the world. And just to be a part of it, like right now, as we're interviewing, I'm in front of city hall. I just had some meetings, so I couldn't find a room. So I'm actually standing outside uh, in a park and just looking, you know, around me. And I'm still in awe, even after two years, just of the opportunities. And then there's so many reasons, but you know, the third thing off the top of my head is, helping to develop leaders here. There's a lot of really good people, very well-intentioned people, and the opportunity to come in and just help with the development of leadership that'll last long after I leave, that's very rewarding as well. Right. And so being a public health system, the executives report to uh, the mayor of New York? Yeah, the way it works is the president CEO of New York City Health and Hospitals reports to the deputy mayor over health and human services, who then reports to the mayor. So that's sort of the lineage. But there's a lot of, a couple other deputy mayors, you know, where the health and welfare of the citizens of New York City are, you know, very near and dear to their agenda as well. So there's other people involved as well. But that's sort of the direct line that I just described. Okay. Okay, so obviously you're, you're happy being in New York City, but, but definitely a change from Texas. And was it a, a difficult choice, or was it something where you, know, you knew that you wanted to, to experience New York? 
No, it was very intentional. So I received a notification from an executive in the healthcare IT community, and they said, we really need your help in New York City. And I was pretty happy and satisfied with everything going on in Texas, but I did have a special connection to New York City. And the short version of the story, you know, my dad is a, one of the oldest living Holocaust escapees. And uh, when he escaped concentration camp in world, during World War II, after a journey through the mountains and into Switzerland, he ended up coming to New York City via the Red Cross. This is now after the war. And oh, wow. My dad always wanted to go back to the city, you know, because this city of New York adopted my dad. He had, he had really no one adopted my dad. And then a couple of years later, my dad's 18 and he gets drafted in the American army and they send him back to Europe. And my dad had a very long storied civil servant career and military career, but never got the chance to come back to New York and get back to the city. So when I got this hint about this role and that there was a need, it was like a no brainer. So when I investigated it, I came back and I called my dad. I said, dad, I get to fulfill the promise you always made back to the city on your behalf. So that's sort of the short version of a longer story, but that's, that's why I jumped at the chance to come here and be part of this. Oh, wow, that, that's fascinating. It's a city where you, you could take advantage of it and uh, just be able to expose yourself to so many different experiences. Oh, yeah, it's just a fantastic city. You know, we definitely take advantage of the arts that are here, and whether it's the museums or Broadway or live jazz or, or what have you, you know, we work very, very hard. It's, it's uh, some of the most complex service that I've ever been involved with. So it's really important that we also balance ourselves and take the time to enjoy the environment as well. So we'll stay over on weekends and we'll stay here for holidays and we'll really make, we've really made the most of it. And I, I insist on the same with my team. So we do a lot of team-based activities after hours or on weekends and really take advantage of, of this opportunity to not only, again, serve the citizens of New York, but also take a little bit of time out for ourselves. Yeah. That lends itself to another uh, topic I wanted to talk about, which is building um, you know, strong relationships. And any advice you can give on, on what it takes to do that, especially if people are maybe more on, on the shy or introverted side, but you know, how to really get, that, get those relationships going? Yeah, I think I learned a lot from listening to seminar once it was a seminar specifically on, on your question, and he said people love to talk about themselves. So what you have to do is ask them questions, and the rest will take care of itself. Because I was sort of a wallflower as well, but I knew that you know, success really was predicated upon the ability to develop relationships and develop those quickly and deeply. And so I started doing that. I just started showing interest, genuine interest in people, and I always had a list of prepared questions. And then you just ask people about themselves, about where they grew up, about where they live, about things they like to do, and people will naturally take over, and then, and then you hear things that you have in common. You know, for instance, in, let's say it's a Broadway show. Someone says, wow, my spouse and I like to go to Broadway shows, and you say, okay, well, which ones? Because I love them too, and which ones do you recommend? And there's usually, if you ask three or four questions, you're usually going to find enough commonality where you can start developing that relationship and ultimately a friendship. So I, I just always come loaded with tons of questions, more about the personal life, personal side of things, not so much about business sides, because the business things come, come later. You have to establish that relationship in order for people to open up to you about the business. Yeah. As someone who, who has so much 
experience in the, the CIO world. It's a pretty unique group where it, it seems that there's a lot of examples of people who reach out to each other to, to offer support, even if they're at you know, different organizations. I remember talking to Rick Allen, who had told me that he reached out to you when, when Texas Health was going through a rough patch and let you know that you had support. So I'm sure that something like that r- really means a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's definitely a tight-knit community. If you're willing to give, you know, that's the thing. You know, I think Zig Ziglar said you can get anything you want if you give everyone what they want. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And he was absolutely right about that. And so if you're service-oriented, and whenever someone reaches out, I always get back to people, other CIOs, because, one, I want them to be successful. I, I love to share what I've learned, but I also know that I need them. And so Rick was an example. And I'll tell you another one, which is kind of cool, is Daniel uh, Barchi. He's at New York Prez now. Yeah. You know, we've known each other for a long time when he was at Yale and before that at uh, Trillion. And uh, so we're meeting t- tonight to go run in Central Park. And we met oh. about a month ago. So we try and get a cadence going of meeting on a regular basis. And it's iron sharpens iron. And, you know, we learn from one another. We share with one another, well, what do you do about this? You know, there's a difficult position. What do you do? Or how do you handle the politics? And so he's a great example. And, you know, the other ones are, are serve on the Chime boot camp. And so I'm pretty tight with, with four or five other of the faculty. And when I'm in trouble, or ideally before I get in trouble, but certainly when I'm in trouble, I always have people to reach out with and ask them, how do you handle these certain complex situations? And you're only as strong as the people around you. And if you try and do things on your own, at least if I would tried things on my own, I'd be p- pretty mediocre. But by extending my, my capabilities through others, by leveraging the things that they've learned, I make myself a lot stronger, and therefore I provide a higher level of service for those who I work for. So it's really important to have that network out there of people that you can draw on. Right. And w- when you think back over the years, is there – any uh, advice you've received that really sticks out? I mean, there's probably a lot. So <laughs> I know it's a, it's a tough question to pinpoint, but any, whether it was a story or just anything that, that someone said to you that really resonated? I, I've made it a point to always have a formal mentor. So every even year I have a formal mentor, and I've been doing this for, I think, about 24 years now. So I've had uh, 12 or 13. When I say formal, it's a contracted relationship. It's a year-long very structured and I keep this running list I call them golden nuggets you know of the top things I've learned and every once in a while I review that list just to freshen my memory and and remind myself of some of the important things I've learned but I think one was relationships cover a multitude of sin and so again it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of relationships because you're gonna make mistakes and if you have a good relationship with someone they're going to be pretty quick to forgive you and, and realize that, that, yes, you made a mistake, but that's not who you are, that you're you know, much more than just that mistake because you've had other successes. So that's really important. Another one is it's your presence, not your presence. So that's presence as in I'm here in front of you presence as opposed mm-hmm. to presence that you might receive at Christmas time. So it's really easy for us to give presence. So it just costs us a little money. And we give presents because th- that shows you that we care about you, think about you. But presence, that's pretty easy. What's more meaningful is your presence. So I've lived with that one for a long time. And so as a result, whenever I can, I've, I, I don't know that I've missed a funeral of anyone in my organization or, 
or or their families, weddings, bar mitzvahs, anything that was important to them that that I've been invited to, uh, I've always made because that that speaks more than just giving a gift. Sometimes you can't be there. I understand that. So gifts are important. It's just another tool. Uh, but I always believe in the presence. And so if someone, so that so that's one way it manifests itself. But another way it manifests itself is stop using email and, or hiding even behind a phone and be there. So when there's a difficult situation, it's really important that you go there in person and they see you in person because, again, that speaks of volumes more than an email. You know, one story was I recall one time when I was at University Hospitals in Cleveland and we had an old, old legacy electronic health record that went down on a what seemed like a routine basis. And so the ED director, he called me, and he was shouting over the phone, and I couldn't get a word in to really, you know, say anything in response. And, and the ED of this particular hospital was about a 10-minute walk from my office. So I just put the phone aside, and I walked as quickly as I could over to the ED, and uh, I showed up in person, and his jaw dropped that any executive, quote-unquote, would show up in person. And, to, and then I said, I'm so sorry. Show me how this impacts you. He walked me around. He introduced me to his other doctors and administrators and, and just showed me what the impact is. And so the cool thing is that even though we couldn't do much about this legacy EHR that was problematic except we replaced it, and we did, he started telling that story over and over to other doctors, to other service line directors. And before I knew it, I was hearing back from the CEO of the hospital and then the CEO of our health system at another occasion where they were telling me back the story. And they're like, Mark, that's pretty cool. I, I heard from Dr. Michelson that you went over there and that it really had an impact. When you do this multiple times, it does become part of the brand of who you are. People know, hey, that guy cares or that person cares, that CIO cares because he or she's not sitting up in their ivory tower. They're actually coming down and talking to me. They're actually listening to me and they're physically walking through my environment. And then, you know, there was another story that happened similarly where the director of service for our NICU uh, for the newborn babies had kind of the same experience where some of the technology that we provided her and her team was really subpar and it didn't get taken care of like I had thought it had. And she called me. It was the same thing. I said, you know, give me a couple minutes. I'll be right over. So I went over and sure enough, I saw these lines of uh, residents uh, you know, four or five deep, standing at one or two devices that were working while six or seven of our wows were in the hallway, you know, with something wrong with them. And mm. she just cried. I, like, hugged her and I cried with her. I didn't know what to do yeah. except to commiserate and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And, uh, and then we took care of it immediately. And then I set some other things in motion so that those situations wouldn't happen again while I was in charge. And so that's what I'm talking about, presence, not presence. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.